Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Hey, our scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. I love this passage. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's house, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever it sets before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, uh, I thank you, as always, for this room, and I thank you for these people, and I thank you that uh, you, uh, in my experience, have been in the business of showing up here, and so we ask that today. Uh, I pray in our next few minutes as we look at this story. I'm like, Dad, I I love this story. I pray that you will... um, Give us new and fresh eyes uh, to see it, if it's something that's maybe old and, I don't know, long studied for us. Uh, Will you wake us up to uh, the things that you're doing uh, through these words in our own lives and in our church? I pray, um, yeah, that you would allow us the courage to look inside ourselves at the things that you might want to expose or excavate or... Uh, I don't know, do business with inside of our own hearts and our own lives. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, I have said a lot around here that I uh, love art. I'm an art lover. Um, I was in the car uh, at the beach. You saw me via video last week. Went to the beach. It was great. Uh, crazy, but great. Um, but we were in the car, I was in the car with some friends, and we were talking about what we wanted to be when we grew up as kids, um, like wh- what you want to do. And I thought about this, that, that um, I, growing up so badly, I wanted to go to college and major in art history and then do whatever you do with art history. And, um, and then at Christmas time, I think my junior or senior year of college, uh, I remember my uncle asking me, what do, you, what do you want to major in when you go to college? And I said, art history. And he said, there are no jobs in that. And it's true, <laughs> there aren't a lot, but like in an uncharacteristic for me way, I listen to him. Uh, and so I, I normally, it can be a bit rebellious of spirit. Dad, please don't amen that one. Um, 
but I listened, and so I didn't do it, which, like, it all worked out. It's fine. Um, but I, I'm not bitter about it but, it, but it was a really good dream of mine. But now what's cool is um, what I couldn't imagine then is we have things like Google and really cheap airfare that gets you to some of the best museums in the country. And, and so my, for me, art history lives on, uh, this dream lives on as a hobby. And so part of the joy of getting to preach all the time is that I get to dabble a little bit in teaching art with you. So thank you for um, humoring me and this hobby that I love. So we're going to talk about a painting today by an artist named Paul Gauguin. Anyone a Gauguin fan in the room? Okay, great. Oh, what? I, Katie nodded her head at least. Okay. Um, uh, so Paul Gauguin, he is one of the most influential painters of the 19th century. He uh, came kind of on the back end of the Impressionists. The Impressionists are like Monet and Renoir and Degas. If you have like touched your toe into art and art history, then the Impressionists are probably what you've seen. Um, he, he came right after them, um, kind of on the end of their run. Uh, Gauguin uh, was friends, or I guess a better term would be frenemies, uh, with Van Gogh, if you've heard of Vincent Van Gogh. Um, in fact, Van, or Gauguin claims that he was with Vincent Van Gogh right before Van Gogh cut off his ear and sent it to a woman. So, you know, art legend. Who knows? Okay, uh, Gauguin, he tried to be a stockbroker. That was his first job, um, and, but he failed, and so he became a painter. I wish that was someone in here's story. I think that is the most hilarious transition of all time, stockbroker to painter. Um, but what happened is he kind of got mad at all of civilization, and so he decided to move to Tahiti and paint, which I think is a very privileged life. Um, he moved to Tahiti to get away from uh, civilization, and, and, he, um, and he goes there and paints. And if you know his work, his work... Um, it's, it's good, and then he moves to Tahiti, and like something comes alive in him, and he, he, he paints uh, Polynesian women, like that's what he's known for, it's so beautiful, and, and while he's in Tahiti, uh, he lived there a couple of times, but the last time while he's there, he um, paints what he believes is his greatest, uh, most culminating masterpiece, his magnum opus, his greatest work of all time. Um, and it's a, paint, it's a painting that he thought was so good that he claimed when he finished it, he put the final um, uh, paint on the canvas and then he walked away and poisoned himself with arsenic on the side of a mountain because he couldn't stand to be alive and not be able to paint so good again. That That is like artist dramatic. Like, I painted this so well, I have to now kill myself so that I, I can't live if I can't do this again. Um, uh, he ended up living six years post that, so I don't know if the arsenic story is even true. Um, but, uh, but this painting, this uh, magnum opus, uh, uh, it is a painting that Gauguin uh, once called on par with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I don't know. You can, uh, will you throw the slide up there, Taylor? You can... Look for yourselves. Um, it's called, if you want to Google it, it's called Where Do We Come From? What Are We? Where Are We Going? It's just a parental advisory. I've clipped off a person who might not be wearing their shirt. So um, <laughs> you're warned. All the youth are now Googling Gauguin immediately. Um, so this is what it's called. Where do we come from? What are we? Where are we going? This is the painting. And, like, it's good, Right? It's, it's fine. It's, it's fine. It's good, it's good and fine. Um, he, 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 it, it, this, this painting, it's bigger than anything Gauguin um, painted. It's uh, 
the it, it, compositionally, it's like so free that it's terribly difficult to interpret what this painting is. Like if you're struggling to see it, that's on purpose. If you're struggling to understand what it is, that's on purpose. Uh, it, it was so hard to interpret that Gauguin's art dealer couldn't sell it to anyone. His magnum opus, his greatest work, and the art dealer can't get it sold. Uh, there's a legend that said that Gauguin's friends tried to pull all of their money together to buy it, and then they were going to donate it to the French state, uh, and they couldn't even make it happen. And this painting, it's so fascinating to me, not because I think it's particularly incredible, but because um, I, I think it's fascinating that Gauguin painted his answer to a question that I think all of us are asking. Who are we and where are we going? Who are we and where are we going? He paints his answer and then he presents it into the world. And I think it is uh, both hilarious and I feel known by it that it is incredibly unclear. The answer is unclear. It was so personal, his answer to this question, that it was hard to interpret by anybody other than his own self. And as I was writing uh, this sermon for today, I thought, I don't, I don't want to be that Gauguin painting. Uh, I think that churches, and we here at Springbrook are no uh, exception to this, um, that we can do so many things or we can talk about so many things that um, who we are and where we're going starts to get fuzzy. A little unclear, a little hard to interpret, a little bit so personal and internal that it's hard uh, to figure out. Uh, one of the gifts of the pandemic is that um, around here at church, it offered us the chance to re-examine and rethink and reimagine the things that we do as a church. It's given us the chance to visit uh, this question for our church all over again. Who are we and where are we going as people of Jesus and as the church of Christ? Who are we and where are we going? I think uh, we learned from Gauguin that answering uh, this question is impossible in one thing, in one painting, one sermon, uh, one sitting. But I think uh, our text from today offers us a kind of uh, a snapshot of one of the ways that I feel like Jesus answers this, follow this question to his followers. So uh, to frame the conversation, we're going to lean really heavily on the scripture that dad just read to us from Luke 10, um, where Jesus sends out the 72 uh, disciples, or in, if you have a different translation, some of them say 70, um, it, but, but he's sending out these followers, these disciples, or missionaries, or chaplains, or young life leaders. You can use whatever word you want. Sent ones. That's maybe the best, uh, the best phrase for it. He sends out these people on a mission of peace and blessing to nearby villages and towns. And if you're following along, as dad read, Jesus uh, tells them, that he tells them, he says, go out and gather people and find yourselves around tables. Bring blessing and peace and pray for healing and advancing the kingdom and proclaiming the message of hope uh, of the God who makes all things new. He says in some places it will go well and in others not so much, but that the blessing will return to you. This uh, is the mission. Go out, gather people, get around their tables, and fill them with the peace and healing and hope of the kingdom. Um, I want to lean just a little bit closer and look at a few little snapshots, things that um, just struck me this week in this text that I thought were super interesting about the way Jesus sends uh, some people out. So four snapshots um, from this story, if you will. Here's the first one. Uh, Jesus sends the disciples out in pairs. Did you catch that? He sends them two by two. He sends them out 
uh, together. If you spend much time with Jesus or in the stories of Jesus, you will see that he is always doing stuff like this. During his ministry on earth, Jesus spends so much time and so much attention on the communal nature of the gospel of Christ. Uh, The communal nature uh, that takes place in his words and that he shows through his own practices over and over and over and over again. Jesus shows uh, that the gospel, the kingdom, uh, his mission, it's a communal thing, a together thing. Something meant to be done together, carried out together in community with one another. Uh, This week I read a theologian who wrote, uh, uh, she says that the message and mission of Jesus is as inclusive as it is expansive. I love that. He, He includes everybody on his mission. It's a communal thing. It's as inclusive as it is expansive. It isn't something we're meant to do or carry out alone. Jesus didn't even do that. The first thing he does when he starts his ministry is he gets others to join uh, along with him. It's something that we're meant to do together. Uh, Here's another one, snapshot two. This one might be my favorite. Uh, I hadn't noticed it before this week, and I think it's so, so good. Jesus, he sends his followers out in pairs, and then it says he, he sends them out to places he intends to visit. Verse one, he sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. This is important. Uh, It's not a tiny thing. I think this is a really, really big thing. It's a thing that we believe here. Uh, We believe in what Luke is telling us about the mission of the kingdom of God, that our mission as followers of Jesus is to be sent into places that Jesus intends to visit. That part of the advancement of God's kingdom uh, means that, that places you go in the name of Jesus, Jesus plans to be there also. This is a big part of, we, we talk about as a church that we're joining God in the renewal of all things. This is a big part of the renewal of all things because around here we think that all things means all the things. That the, the, that the kingdom of God would visit all the things and all of the places. That part of the advancement of the kingdom means to, to go in the name of Jesus to places that Jesus will be. We believe that Jesus intends to put all things back together. And so the places we go and the spaces we visit, we believe as followers of Jesus, the kingdom goes there with us. Jesus goes there with us. That wherever we are, Jesus intends to be. And he sends us, his people, out everywhere. Everywhere. To the spaces and places that he'll visit, that he'll fill with his peace and blessing and glory and healing, we don't go anywhere that he doesn't already intend to go. I feel like I should spend a whole sermon just on that one point, but no time. Snapshot three. It also strikes me, uh, Jesus says, go in Paris, and then he says, wherever you go, I'm going to go there too. I intend to be there. And then the next thing is, uh, it strikes me that Jesus tells these people to travel lightly. Go the places I intend to visit, but don't take very much with you. He sends them out on mission, and pretty much the only thing he tells them to bring with them is the blessing of peace. That's it. He doesn't give them a list of what to pack, um, but instead he gives them the opposite list of what not to pack. Uh, If you've ever taken youth on a youth trip, you know that that what not to pack list is far more important than than the previous list. 
He says, go to the places I'm going to visit and travel light. There is a big lesson for us here. Uh, I read this week a, a story about a Catholic priest named Father Sloan. And uh, he said, uh, he said, I read this, he, with frank honesty, he said, talking about this verse, he said, I've never found any virtue in traveling light. I just heard my mom, amen. Just kidding, mom. <laughs> she loves a big suitcase. Um, He talked, so Father Sloyan, he talks about going on the spiritual retreat for a few days, and he says he shows up at the retreat center, and I'm just going to read his quote. He said, I arrived with me three suitcases, a yoga mat, two six-packs of sparkling water, and appropriate crafts spilling out of different tote bags in case all the meditations were boring. I love this. He, he shows up and he has all of these bags for a, a, a few-day retreat. And he says another priest walks by and under his breath he hears him say, well, I can see we have a lot of work to do on trust. <laughs> and so this, this retreat goes really well. And what happens is Father Sloy in the next year uh, leads the retreat. He becomes a leader of the retreat. And he says the first um, person that he has that's participating in this retreat, um, the first person that speaks to him that was in his group, so he says, she looks at him and says, I'm beginning to learn that my relationship with Jesus is not so much a matter of doing things, but a matter of undoing things. And Father Sloyan says that that message hit him and his luggage very deeply. He says, next year I returned much lighter. I even left the sparkling water at home. I think Jesus' advice to travel lightly in this journey is absolutely literal. If you spend much time with Jesus, then um, the, the, in, in the stories about him, there is this constant practice of his, of simplicity, a constant call to simplicity. Uh, but I think there's also a figurative piece to it as well. A call to travel lightly with less burden and baggage, not just in your things, but in your heart and your mind, and your soul, a lightness within you that makes room for blessing and peace and healing and hope wherever you go. Again, a whole sermon on that one. But, okay, uh, then my final observation, maybe this one's my favorite. Here's one of the good things about being in this brain is that there are so many favorite things it's hard to keep up. Uh, one of the exhausting things of being in those chairs is like, I think she just said two seconds ago something was her favorite. Um, I love this. Okay. It is so incredibly interesting to me that uh, Jesus' principal call to his followers is a message of peace. Go to the places I intend to visit. Travel lightly. Look for people of peace. And then find yourself around their tables, in their homes or their spaces, and bring more peace there. Declare and bless my peace over the spaces you find yourself. Uh, N.T. Wright, when he's talking about this passage, he, he uh, talks about Jesus' contemporaries, the other people who are um, proclaiming um, the, the, the message of Israel and the message of God. And he says that they weren't longing for peace, that Jesus' contemporaries wanted an all-out war in the name of the Father. But Jesus, in a style that was d- distinct to him historically, in his kingdom style, he is always, always declaring peace. And here he tells his followers to do the same thing. He says uh, to look for and to call out peace wherever it is that they go. Uh, Every week uh, we talk about passing the peace. And every week I feel a bit hyperbolic as I'm telling you how important I think it is. But I just just truly think it matters. I I just think it matters. Uh, We, as followers of Jesus, we are the sent ones in this world. And the call on our life is peace. It's peace. 
I will say it as long as they let me have a microphone, that I think practicing peace, passing peace in here, how we want to be out there, I just, I think it matters so much. Jesus, he sent out these 72 uh, with peace and with blessing. Not to collect support or funds uh, for opportunities for war, but with peace. The peace of what N.T. Wright calls the generous grace and astonishing, powerful healing and love of the Father. Jesus says, tell them that the peace of the kingdom is near to them now, close enough for them to touch. They go into the world with a message of healing and hope and love of Jesus that the kingdom of peace has come near. They go with a message of peace that is close enough to enfold anyone who would have it. Luke 10, it's the directions of Jesus for his disciples to travel lightly, together, to go to the places he intends to be and to bring with them the blessing of peace and hope of the healing of the kingdom of God. So what does this have to do with us as a church? Uh, Who are we and where are we going uh, with this in mind? Um, First of all, I would say uh, that I believe that what Jesus asked these 70 or 72 Christians is what he's asking of everyone who follows him. If you are here and you claim to follow Jesus, then this is who you are. This is the mission. This is the calling on your life. Go together and pack lightly and simply, literally and figuratively. Go to the places uh, that the Spirit intends to be, which is all the places, and find yourself in gathered spaces and places. Find yourselves around tables with other people and bring with you the blessing of peace and the hope of healing and the promise of the kingdom of God that is close enough to touch and to feel and to be engulfed by. This is who we are. Disciples, chaplains, missionaries, young life or FCA or yoke or whatever person followed you around as a teenager. This is who we are. We are sent ones. And this is where we're going. Into the world, into the spaces and the places where God's spirit longs to dwell. This is who we are and where we're going as individuals, but it's also uh, what we feel like is the call on who we are and where we're going as a church. Uh, We want to be a church that's sent together. This is why we throw parties and have dinners, because we we believe we're sent together. We're a church that values community, communal mission, communal uh, living. At our best, we are a gathering, a gathered Church And so here on Sunday mornings and during the week with core groups and classes and community gatherings at restaurants and parks, this is who we want to be. Our great hope as a church is not to be a place with the newest or coolest or best programs, but instead we long to be a space where you can connect with God and other people in peace and healing and hope. A space to learn how to connect with God and others in peace and healing and hope. A space of training um, for how to follow Jesus, how to be near Jesus, how to recognize and practice and swim in the spaces that Jesus intends to be in the world. We uh, want to be people who follow the way of Jesus uh, and find ourselves around tables in this room, but not just here, all over our community, everywhere. We want uh, gatherings within these walls um, uh, and, and with this community, certainly. But as much as we value gathering together here as this community of faith, we also value uh, being a community that goes into the actual community. Intentionally finding ourselves in the places and spaces where the people of our county gather. 
We value showing up in the world as sent ones in classrooms and concerts on bike paths and CrossFit gyms and wherever people are all over, bringing with us the blessing of peace and hope, praying for the sick and proclaiming the hope of the God who will make all things new. Uh, Also, thinking of who we are, uh, we around here value traveling lightly. We, uh, as a church, are simple on purpose. That's not just because we meet in a band room. To be fair, it is a quite simple room. (laughs) I got fancy today and wrote, welcome to Springbrook on the dry erase board. Don't know if you noticed. Um, (laughs) We could meet anywhere, and we would be intentionally simple. It's, it's on purpose. It is a deeply held values of our, value of ours. I say this uh, sometimes. I hope what we lack in fog machines we make up for in friendliness and welcoming and renewal. <laughs> uh, it's who we are. We want to be light travelers, intentionally simple. But if I'm really honest with you and vulnerable with you, sometimes I get really angsty about that. You might too. Uh, it's okay if you do. Uh, sometimes I'm like, it's simple boring. Like I just, I get all in my head about it. And, and sometimes I hear what other churches are doing or I read one too many church leader emails that get sent to me all the time. And, and, and I find myself pushing uh, my staff for more things and more programs and more flash to, to use their work hours to create more stuff instead of being with more people. I see what other places are doing and I want to keep up with that. Because churches all over this county are doing really, really cool things. I don't know if you know. Like, great things. Things I love. Things that I think are wonderful. Sometimes when I look at the cool things other places are doing, I have in me this tendency uh, to forget who we are. But part of the answer to the question of who we are as a church is this. We are simple on purpose. We feel uh, the most within our calling as a church when we create spaces for gathering, spaces to practice the blessing of peace, to experience the worship and hope and healing of the kingdom. This is what we do on Sunday mornings. We gather in the name of Jesus to work alongside one another, uh, to pass the peace of Jesus to one another, and to come all together to the table, to a feast of grace, a place to be with God and a place to be with each other and a place to get prayed for. It's how we view kids' ministry and youth ministry and women's and men's and anything uh, that we do. And kids, uh, our, our vision for kids' ministry is that it would be a gathering of kids where the story of Jesus would be told and where kids would be poured into and loved and known by name and be invited into a story bigger than themselves. There may not be a blow-up slide every week. Who knows? I like snow cones. I also like blow-up slides. Um, but here's what I know your kids are going to be prayed for. And they're going to learn how to pray for other people. And in addition uh, to Sundays, our hope is to create simple and warm spaces and places of gathering. Spaces where you can practice the things of Jesus. And where you can be encouraged by the people of Jesus. And spaces where you can bring people who don't know Jesus. Safe spaces like dinner together that we're doing tomorrow night. Uh, safe ways to practice, like practicing in kids' ministry or as a greeter or on a team where you serve one time a month actively practicing the mission of the kingdom in this space so that uh, you can do it outside of the space. Empowering all of us to practice the kingdom outside of the space. Uh, empowering you to go back to the tables that you find yourself at every day in your everyday life as sent ones of Jesus. You're all where you are. 
you're at your work and you're in your neighborhood and you're at the things that you do and the places you go and the restaurants you eat at, we want to empower you to sit around those tables as people of peace. This is who we want to be, the church that gathers and connects and trains and empowers you and then cheers you on as you find yourselves in your spaces and places that Jesus longs to dwell. Uh, Eugene Peterson says it like this. The gospel invites us into a world of God's creation and salvation and blessing. God in human form in action on the very ground on which we live. The story of God is an incarnational story. That is, it is a flesh and blood on the ground story. A story that is worked out in our actual lives and places, not in abstract ideas or programs or inspirational uplifting anecdotes, but a story in which we recognize the action of God in the everydayness of our own stories. That's who we are as people. We are sent ones into our actual lives, into our actual places as the chaplains of wherever we are. I use this a lot, but um, I have a friend here who used to be a fly fishing guide at Blackberry, and I was like, I thought he had the coolest version of this because he got to be the chaplain of the river, and I felt like I got to be the chaplain of Kroger or wherever I spend the most time, <laughs> but the chaplain of wherever you are in your actual life is who we hope we are as a church, a simple and safe place to seek and learn and worship and practice, uh, a table that we can gather around every single week, reminding us that there is peace and hope to be found in the kingdom of God. So, if that's who we are, and the next question is, where are we going? Um, and I'm not going to spend the rest of our time doing that. In fact, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about that. That one takes a little longer uh, to unpack. Next week, we're going to start a, a new series that uh, we, we did, we almost did right before the world shut down. And so, we've been like waiting on the edge of our seat for this for over a year um, called The Art of Neighboring. Um, and what it, it's a series that we're, we're going to follow the verses that happen right after these verses at the end of Luke 10. So if you're looking for something to um, do in your own personal life that will connect you to what we're doing on stage or in your core group or whatever, Luke 10 is a, a perfect place to be uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, and we're going to um, talk about something in somewhere that I think the Holy Spirit is inviting uh, us as a church. Uh, a couple of months ago, I went to Ohio uh, to a conference and, uh, with the senior leadership team, which is um, like an elder team that, that serves our whole organization. And while we were there, uh, I had this moment where Jesus just really spoke to me, like super prophetically, and at the same time spoke to Josh Armstrong, who isn't here this morning, but is our missionary, if you've met him, and he's on the senior leadership team too. And um, we both felt like we heard from Jesus, and it was the exact same thing. And it, it is what we're going to talk about over uh, the next few weeks. So, um, and then that series will set up some really, some things we're super excited about, launching some new core groups and neighborhood groups and classes that uh, we can't wait for. So, don't miss next week. This was all just to set up for next week. Um, <laughs> uh, but till then, uh, we're going to take a breath. We, we do this, another rhythm of ours. Uh, part of what we think the empowering and training of the Spirit is, is, is sitting quietly just for a few minutes and not move on too quickly from where we've been. And so um, I just, I wonder, as you think through Luke 10 and you hear my observations of it, maybe you had some of your own, I wonder what the Holy Spirit is stirring in you. So uh, will you do this? Close your eyes. I promise I'm not going to make you do anything weird. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. I just want you to take a deep breath. Like just close your eyes and take a really deep breath. Like in and out. 
And I just have some questions for you, and then I'll pray, and there will be some verses on the screen, and we'll just sit quietly for a couple minutes. Uh, Here's one. Uh, What stirs in you when you hear the call of Jesus into the spaces and places uh, of your everyday life? To sit around tables in the name of peace in the kingdom of God. What stirs in you? Do you feel excited? Inadequate? Disappointed in the call? Scared? Confused? Do you think maybe you're the exception, like maybe everybody else has that calling on their life but you? Or maybe I think this one would be really common. Do you have no idea where to start? Uh, Also, I wonder what stirs in you around the idea of togetherness, the communal nature of following Jesus. Or maybe around the idea of traveling lightly, traveling simply. What does that do in you to hear? Let's just sit here and we'll ask the Holy Spirit these questions. And I just think the Holy Spirit has stuff to do with us. So, so uh, Spirit, enter our stirrings. Enter into our fears, our confusions, to the places we feel bummed that this is what you're asking of us, or the places we feel inadequate to do what we're ask- you're asking us to do. And for those of us who have no idea how to start who feel like this uh, being who we are is as vague as that Gauguin painting, would you speak to us? Will you speak into the vague? Will you give us clarity and vision for the places you are calling us, the tables that you long for us to sit on? Will you show us where it is in our actual lives that you intend to show up? And will you give us the courage to go there and bring the blessing of peace and the hope of healing and the glory and the wonder of the kingdom? We put actual people in our minds and hearts, actual spaces in our minds and hearts and places and restaurants and groups in our minds and our hearts. Will you stir up in us the ways that you want to simplify our lives and our time and our troubles that we may travel lightly where you would have us go? Would you show us, Spirit, how we can travel lightly, literally and figuratively? Will you come and speak to us?